This is True Crime Psychology and Personality, where we discuss the pathology behind some of the most horrific crimes and those who committed them from a scientifically informed perspective. I'm Dr. Todd Grande. I have a PhD in Counselor Education and Supervision, and I'm a licensed professional counselor of mental health. Dr. Todd Grande, that's my YouTube channel. Today's question is, can I analyze the case of Jeremy Wilson? Jeremy Wilson was born in Indianapolis, Indiana in July of 1973. His mother was named Patricia Clark and his father, Lonnie Wilson. It's worth noting that the authorities are not 100% sure that Jeremy Wilson is his real name. He is a con artist who has used so many aliases that his background is murky. He was prosecuted as Jeremy Wilson in New York, so I will refer to him by that name. Jeremy's mother and father separated when Jeremy was very young. Patricia married a man named John Erskine, but the relationship was not healthy. They separated and reunited several times. Jeremy's long history of being manipulative and deceptive started early. He was expelled from high school and lost a scholarship after pretending to have a disability. He apparently showed up to school in a wheelchair. He also committed theft against other students. Eventually, Jeremy graduated from another high school. He continued to manifest antisocial behavior. He was arrested for stealing a crossbow, a vehicle, and the vehicle owner's credit cards. He drove to Colorado and was involved in a collision. In addition, he managed to steal the identity of his cousin Brian Clark and used it to cash a $2,000 check. After this, most of his family didn't want him around anymore. Jeremy served time in prison in the states of Ohio and Pennsylvania in the mid-1990s. He had been convicted of theft and forgery. In 1999 and 2000, he was detained for several months after trying to cross into the state of Washington from British Columbia. When the authorities searched his car, they found a forged Irish passport and a forged Canadian passport. In the state of Indiana, Jeremy assumed the identity of a Microsoft executive and ran up charges at strip clubs and hotels, about $7,400 altogether. In 2001, he was sentenced to eight years in prison. In March of 2006, he escaped from a work release program and fled to Canada. He was arrested in Edmonton, Alberta, after stealing passports, vehicle license plates, and personal documents. He was convicted and sentenced to 21 days in jail. Upon his release, he contacted the director of Jewish Family Services in Edmonton. Jeremy said that he was a soldier in the United States Army who was attacked because he was Jewish. The director was so impressed with Jeremy that he invited him into his home, something he rarely did. Jeremy somehow arranged to have credit cards issued to him on the director's account. Jamie then fled the area and charged about $17,000 on the cards. Jeremy was recaptured in May of 2007 after trying to re-enter the United States. His family said he was trying to see his dying mother. About a year later, he was released. Jeremy used an Eli Whitney corporate account to check into a luxury hotel in Indianapolis. In August of 2008, he was arrested. In jail, he assumed the identity of an Irish soldier, even using an Irish accent. His cellmate was so impressed with Jeremy that when Jeremy was released, he arranged for him to stay with a friend of his 
named Michael Lafferty. Jeremy told Michael that he had graduated from the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. He had a young child who was dying of cancer. The child's last wish was to see the Great Wall of China. Three weeks later, Jeremy departed to Chicago after liberating Michael's social security number, birth certificate, and credit card numbers. Jeremy had met a 19-year-old woman online. Her name was Angela Stam. She knew him as Finn Keenan, a former British soldier who was facing deportation. Angela stayed with Jeremy in Chicago. He found work there as a bartender. The pair then drove to Missoula, Montana. Now Jeremy was going by the name Angus Jocko Ferguson. Through a couch surfing website, Jeremy found a man named Reed Reemers and stayed at his residence. Nothing says safety like allowing random people to sleep on your couch. I imagine there should be plenty of ads for serial killer supplies on a couch surfing website. I picture an ad with a guy holding a kitchen knife saying, don't forget this for your next couch adventure. Jeremy was now saying that he was a secret commando for the U.S. military. Reemers was active in local theater. He was a theater teacher. Jeremy told him that he was familiar with Shakespeare, having studied at Cambridge. Jeremy attended several theater events. Reemers would say that Jeremy was a surprisingly good performer. He had a silly laugh and was kind of a nerd. He was disarming rather than charming. In late August 2009, Jeremy visited a Montana National Guard training site called Fort Harrison. He told the soldiers there that he was a captain in the Special Forces. He needed a military ID card and body armor to facilitate a secret mission. The soldiers noticed that Jeremy wasn't making any sense at all. They were probably thinking, what kind of officer has to walk onto a base and beg for items to facilitate a secret mission? How secret can the mission be if that is what he has to do? One of the soldiers contacted the FBI. A short time later, Jeremy drove a stolen car onto the Maelstrom Air Force Base near Great Falls, Montana. He was arrested and interviewed by the FBI. The agent noticed that his insignia was in the wrong places on his uniform. He asked Jeremy for the name of his group commander. Jeremy said he couldn't remember. Before Jeremy's real identity was discovered, he convinced Reemers to post his bond and drive him back to Missoula. When the FBI realized who Jeremy was, they tried to find him there, but it was too late. He had already fled. He tried to convince Angela to come with him, but she declined. Jeremy drove to Los Angeles in a rented Mustang convertible. Now he was a DJ and video producer from Scotland. While in Los Angeles, he convinced a dentist in Beverly Hills to do $28,000 in dental work. Of course, Jeremy did not pay him. In January of 2010, Jeremy was arrested after the police figured out the Mustang was stolen. Jeremy served six years in federal prison in New Hampshire for identity theft. After being released, he made his way to Massachusetts, where he stole business checks from a mailbox. He printed checks with the same account number and stole over $40,000. In December of 2015, he made the first lease payment on a BMW X3 SUV and fled to New York City. This vehicle cost over $50,000. About a week later, the police impounded the BMW and left a note saying that it had been involved in a carjacking. Amazingly, 
Jeremy contacted the police to arrange picking up the stolen vehicle. He fell for their obvious trick. When he arrived at the police station, he was arrested. Jeremy made a video recorded statement to a prosecutor and a police officer. He confessed to many of the crimes he had committed over the last several years. In 2017, Jeremy was convicted in New York and sentenced to 7 to 14 years in prison. He was extradited to Massachusetts to face charges there. In May of 2019, he pleaded guilty to a number of offenses, including forgery and larceny. He was sentenced to six to seven years in prison there. He will start serving that sentence when he's finished his sentence in New York. It's always nice to have something to look forward to. I'm an American vigilante. I have a question for you. What would you do if someone you cared about was abducted, taken from you? Would you call me? Would you care about how I got them back? Download American Vigilante now. True terrors of horror, bizarre happenings, unexplainable events. On our podcast, Disturbed, Terror Takes Center Stage. Each episode is a journey into the darkest corners of human existence, delving into bone-chilling tales of kidnappings, serial killers, maniacs, and the very essence of your worst nightmares coming to life on this weekly true horror show. Disturbed is not for the faint of heart. It's an exploration of real, unadulterated horror sourced from everyday people. Each episode is a descent into the macabre, where we narrate stories that will leave you on the edge of your seat and crawling in your skin. We navigate the disturbing narratives that lurk in the shadows, offering a raw and unfiltered listen into the most terrifying aspects of the human experience. Enter at your own risk and let the unsettling tales unfold in the haunting realm of Disturbed. And remember, listeners, stay safe out there. Now moving to my analysis. Jeremy Wilson fabricated at least 27 aliases, including Jeremy Clark Erskine, Angus Ferguson, Jeremy Asimov Beckingham, Finn Keenan, and Jeremy Keenan. He stole social security numbers, credit cards, checks, and various documents from dozens of people. He was a master of forgery. His birth certificate had been altered many times. There was even doubt that he was a citizen. He was deported more than once for being an illegal immigrant. Jeremy was an amazingly prolific con artist. He was convincing, disarming, and exceptionally intelligent. Here are a few items that stood out to me in the case of Jeremy Wilson. Item number one, Jeremy's aliases and fabricated personas followed a particular pattern. He almost always involved being a current or former member of the military. 
Sometimes he posed as a member of the special forces. Other times he said he was a wounded veteran. In addition to pretending to have served in the military, Jeremy would add other elements to his persona. He often presented with an Irish or British accent. He was cryptic about his past. He was inquisitive about the habits and cultural values of others. This was a learning opportunity for him. He could prepare for his next scam this way. He claimed to graduate from well-known universities, and he pretended to have relatively high-level careers, like being an airline executive or a Microsoft executive. Jeremy's alternate personas were not just about being grandiose or seemingly trustworthy. Some also served other practical purposes. For example, Jeremy spent a lot of time in prison, so pretending to be in the military allowed him to explain gaps in his work history. Like if he was on a secret mission, he wasn't allowed to tell anybody where he was. Item number two, Jeremy would read quite a bit and learn about a wide variety of topics. For example, to learn about the military, he read books by Tom Clancy. It would appear as though Jeremy learned enough to trick people who were not familiar with the particular topic. Like if someone was never in the military or never studied the military, they might not know Jeremy was lying. However, his deception was insufficient to deceive experts. Like when he wandered onto Fort Harrison, they knew immediately something was wrong, as did the FBI agent who interviewed Jeremy later. Jeremy essentially tried to overwhelm people with a lot of terminology, expressiveness, and vivid details, but there was no depth or substance to his knowledge. It was superficial. It was all about the image. When he was challenged by someone who understood the topic, Jeremy would not back down. He would just keep lying. He was highly confident in his ability to deceive and unaware when his attempts were failing. Item number three, one way that Jeremy disarmed potential victims was to pretend to have something in common with them. He appreciated the power of similarity. For example, he pretended to be Jewish in order to get the help of a Jewish man in Canada. And he pretended to be the son of an IRA leader in order to secure the services of an attorney in New York who was sympathetic to the IRA. He knew that people would let their guard down if they believed he was like them. This tactic led to him being perceived as an instant ally. It led people to trust him automatically. Jeremy understood the power of trust and how people come to believe certain things. Essentially, he was tapping into the bias of his victims, their own belief that the group to which they belonged was somehow more trustworthy. Item number four, Jeremy has repeatedly attempted to get deported to other countries, and on a few occasions, he did get deported. He pretended that his real father was a man named Brian Keenan, who was a well-known leader in the IRA. Sometime around 2012, Jeremy hired an immigration attorney in San Diego. The attorney arranged for a laboratory in California to test the DNA of Jeremy, his mother Patricia Clark, and Brian Keenan. The results appeared to show that Brian Keenan was Jeremy's father. However, it seems as though Jeremy falsified documents regarding the collection of Brian Keenan's DNA sample. The company listed on the documents has no record of having collected the sample. During an interview after being arrested in New York, Jeremy said, quote, I want to go home. I want to go to Ireland. If I'm going to be hated, I want to be hated for the right reasons. I'm so tired of this." Unquote. 
Item number five, Jeremy claims to have remorse regarding some of his victims, but not for others. Like he's sorry about cheating personal acquaintances, but not about cheating big corporations like banks. When talking about defrauding people who viewed him as a friend, Jeremy said, quote, that's the evil behind everything I have done. I get involved with people who don't deserve the betrayal that's bound to come, unquote. Jeremy went on to say, quote, the things I have done are worse than the lies I have told, unquote. I think this last line was designed to get ahead of his accusers. It's like he's trying to beat people to the punch. They can call him evil, but not before he's already proclaimed that he is worse than they think. It's like he's trying to side with people who are against him. Jeremy likes the fact that no one can figure out exactly who he is, like he is a mystery. He once said, quote, there is so much misinformation about me, no one can say with absolute certainty who I am, unquote. Sadly, he makes a point here. I don't think it's so much misinformation as lack of information. And of course, he caused this through his criminal behavior. When considering all these items, it seems fairly clear that Jeremy Wilson has unusual and pronounced undesirable personality characteristics. His behavior appears to align with grandiose narcissism. The problem for Jeremy was that he had too many characteristics of grandiose narcissism to be satisfied with being a con artist. If he only had arrogance, self-centeredness, and a sense of entitlement, he probably could have committed crimes and been undistracted, like committed the crime and just moved on. However, Jeremy also had a strong need for admiration. He wanted people to understand how he had manipulated others. He wanted recognition for being an excellent con artist. This characteristic in itself means that he's not an excellent con artist. A con artist who wants to be recognized cannot, by definition, be effective at scamming people. He literally confessed to the authorities just so somebody would be impressed by him. The world was a lonely place for Jeremy. He had no real friends. He had no human connection. Therefore, there was no one to whom he could boast. And this was a limitation he could not endure. Now moving to my final thoughts. Trust is important for society to function. No one would want to live in a world where everyone distrusted everyone else all the time. But trust should still be earned. Jeremy exploited a number of weaknesses related to how people decide who to trust. One important lesson his success teaches is that people should not assume that similarity equates to trustworthiness. There is no career, nationality, religious belief, educational level, or disability status that automatically makes someone trustworthy. People can fake just about any characteristic, and narcissism is equally distributed across any particular population. No group is exempt from the risk of being narcissistic. This has been True Crime Psychology and Personality from Ars Longa Media. This content is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Ars Longa Vita Brevis. Hi, I'm Matt Harris. Seton Tucker and I host the podcast Impact of Influence, which for two years covered in depth Alec Murdoch, who was eventually convicted in 2023 of murdering his wife Maggie and son Paul. That story continues to evolve, and we will cover that. Plus, we will tell you stories of other 
true crime events that have happened in the South. Please join us on Impact of Influence and give us a follow on the Impact of Influence Facebook page.